0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning, everybody. As Bob said, uh, my name is Matt and serve as one of the pastors here. Grateful to have you with us this morning. So if we haven't uh, met before, would love a chance to even remedy that today. But if you have Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 24. If you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, that Bob mentioned a little while back, uh, page 166 is where you can find the text we'll be in uh, today. About a decade or so ago, I read a book by David Allen called Getting Things Done. It's not really a secret what the book's about. Uh, It's about being productive, being efficient in accomplishing tasks and communicating um, and I would say now, reflecting back on that, that it simultaneously is one of the best and one of the absolute worst books I've ever read. Uh, here, here's why I say that. On the, on the positive side, it was incredibly helpful in getting my head around and organizing various responsibilities in my life. It was the first year that we were gathering people for a core team for, for Liberty Church. Uh, there was a lot going on. And it was really helpful. Some of the the tools and systems and the lessons in that book continue to this day uh, to be really helpful and beneficial to me. If I I come across with any semblance of sanity, uh, I owe at least a little bit of that to to some of the tools I picked up there. On the other hand, on the negative side, um, it fed what really are for me idols of productivity and efficiency. So, it's kind of like this. You don't want to give, it's dangerous to give caffeine to a five year old. If you have a five year old, you don't want to feed them caffeine. You guys probably know that already. Similarly, if someone already loves productivity and efficiency and loves to check things off lists and get things done, giving them a book called Getting Things Done is dangerous. It's not helpful in in every single way. Because I'm sure as a lot of you have learned, as I am still learning, the most important things in life are rarely productive or efficient. Rarely productive or efficient. Almost everything that truly matters in life takes time and takes patience. And if we try to squeeze every last drop of productivity, every last drop of efficiency out of every moment of our lives, we actually end up missing life. We might accomplish a ton, we might move a lot of things forward, check a lot of things off a lot of lists, but at the end of the day, we find ourselves left wondering if all of that flurry of activity has actually accomplished something of, of value and worth. So it is, it's is—it's really good for us to labor hard at the work God gives us to do. It's really good to be diligent, to be productive in our lives, but margin matters. Margin matters. Uh, it's good to pursue efficiency. It's, it's it's good to try to make the most of the resources that God has given to each of us. But if we try and squeeze every possible drop out of every minute, if we try to squeeze every single drop out of every dollar, we're actually going to miss far more important things. Because what we see in Scripture is that as much as God does value productivity, as much as God does value certain kinds of efficiency, He values mercy even more. And this morning we're looking at a text where, where God commands His people, the Israelites, to show mercy to the vulnerable. And what we're going to see in this text is that showing that kind of mercy requires margin. And so the people of God are called and commanded that they're meant to intentionally shape their lives so that they have margin for mercy. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Deuteronomy chapter 24. And I'm going to read verses 17-22. through Verse 17, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember, verse 22, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. God of mercy, you have shown us great mercy. And you have shown mercy to your people generation after generation. We ask now this morning that you would help us to perceive your good and true promises. That you would help us to live faithful and obedient lives in response for the things you've called us to. Uh, We pray this morning that you would help us to perceive the mercy that you have shown us and that we would become people of mercy, people who show mercy in light of that. And we pray all that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So here's the, the, the big idea for our time this morning. Mercy for the fatherless requires both our memories and our margins. And if we're going to be people who display God's mercy to the world, and specifically display God's mercy to the fatherless, we need to both cultivate a memory of mercy and to create margin for mercy. And with the time that we have left this morning, we're we're going to look at those two things. Mercy in our memory and mercy in our margins. So first, let's talk about mercy in our memory. The Old Testament, we're we're reading through the Old Testament together uh, in a year this year, many of us in our church family. Uh, You'll notice as we start to read the Old Testament, there are a lot of commands about showing mercy to vulnerable people. The quartet of the vulnerable, as they're sometimes referred to. These four big groups of vulnerable people that get mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament. The poor, the sojourner, or those in other words who are away from their home, refugees or immigrants. The widow and the orphan, or the fatherless. And as you hopefully heard a moment ago, Deuteronomy chapter 4 includes some of those commands. So there's a command for justice, which we're going to talk more about next week. It says there at the beginning of verse 17, don't pervert justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless. Don't take a widow's garment in pledge. Verse 18, I command you to do this. There's also a command for mercy. Don't take every last grain or olive or grape. Leave some of that as food for for vulnerable people so they can eat. And then again, verse 22, I command you to do this. But notice here that it's way more than a command. It's way more than a command. Each time God first says, therefore, I command you. And as it's been said by many over the years, whenever in the Bible we see the word, therefore, we should always ask what the therefore is there for. And what, we're see, what we see here in both verse 18 and 22, each of those commands is preceded by the phrase, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. In other words, for the people of God, mercy is not just a command, it's actually a matter of identity and integrity. By definition, God's people, the people of God, they are people who have been shown mercy. They are people who have received mercy. And so the commands to God's people to show mercy, it flows directly out of that. God is saying, My people, I have shown you mercy. Therefore, now you show mercy to others. The operative word in each of those two verses is the word remember. Remember. God is saying Moses giving the law here, God is saying, don't forget what used to be true of you, Israelites. Don't forget your story. In other words, if you are going to be a man who shows mercy, if you're going to be a woman who shows mercy, you need all the time mercy in your memory. Mercy in your memory. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is laying out God's law for the Israelites. He's giving the law for the second time. That's actually what the word Deuteronomy means. And so it's nearing the end of their years wandering through the wilderness. And a good number of the older generation of the Israelites have now passed away. So as this younger generation is preparing to enter into the promised land, they need mercy in their memories. Otherwise, when they enter the promised land, when they enter this place of rest and prosperity when someday they are no longer vulnerable and marginalized themselves, they're liable to immediately turn around and to neglect those who are. To neglect mercy. See, as human beings, we have this this terrible and tragic tendency to only value mercy when we're in need of it. When we're the recipients of it. And the other times in life, when we feel like we're on top, when we feel like we're thriving... We don't have a real deep feeling sense of our own need for mercy. And in those times of our lives, we're we're prone to very quickly, scary quickly, turn around and begin to look with contempt and superiority on people who who do still need mercy. The reality, though, of course, is we always need mercy. There's not a, a moment, there's not a breath that you have taken in your life that wasn't dependent on mercy being shown to you. We are always recipients of mercy from God. And for the Israelites, the fact that they walked out of the land of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. The fact that that God sustained them with bread from heaven and water from the rock. The fact that God didn't start over when they melted down all their jewelry and turned it into a golden calf. They have been shown unbelievable mercy every step of the way. Now you and I were never slaves in Egypt. It's not our specific story. But, Scripture says to us, we all were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to, as the Apostle Paul calls it in the book of Galatians, the elementary principles of the world. But the good news of the Gospel is that in Jesus Christ, there's been a greater exodus. As incredible as this exodus was, the Israelites walking out of Egypt, being freed from slavery, Jesus has purchased a greater exodus for us from sin. There's a greater redemption in Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then here's the key line, Galatians 4.7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You, person who has put your faith in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are a son. You are an heir of God. That's the mercy that we need in our memory. We once were dead in our sin. We once were slaves to things like sexual immorality, idolatry, theft, greed, addiction. We once were without hope and without God in this world. But through the work of Jesus Christ, we were washed. We were sanctified. We were set free from that slavery. We were, as Paul emphasizes in that text, adopted. Fathered by God himself. No longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. And so now, having been adopted solely by the mercy of God we show mercy. We show mercy. Showing mercy to the fatherless, for us as Christians, showing mercy to the fatherless flows directly out of our own identity. It's actually a matter of integrity for us. Sin made the world an orphanage. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Sin made the world an orphanage. We needed a perfect father to welcome us into his family through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We now have that father in God. Amen? Amen. Men and women, cultivate a memory of that mercy. Of that mercy. Get mercy into your memory and then fight to keep it there. Especially at those times in your lives when you're struggling to show mercy, when you're not motivated to show mercy, where you maybe even start to feel contempt or feel some kind of sense of superiority to people who have deep needs. Go back and remember your own slavery. And I don't say that to you this morning so you can wallow in that, what what used to be true of you. I don't say that so you can sit in this place of self-pity and self-condemnation. I say that to you to ensure that you never forget where you were when the mercy of God found you. Don't ever forget where you were when the mercy of God found you. Where you were when, as Moses says to the Israelites in verse 18, where you were when the Lord your God redeemed you from there. You were a slave to sin, but you are no longer. You are now a son, an heir. Remember that, and then watch how that mercy in your memory transforms you into a person who more and more shows mercy to others. That's mercy in our memory. Second, let's talk about mercy in our margins. Mercy in our margins. For for someone who has received this kind of mercy from God, it really is the most natural thing in the world to show mercy. If we're seeing that clearly, if we're perceiving the kind of mercy that that we've received, it's the most natural thing in the world to turn around and to show that to other people. But as any of us know who have tried to do that, as any of us know who are trying to do that even presently in our lives, it still requires a ton of intentionality. It it doesn't just happen. And really, for, for upwardly mobile Productive, relatively wealthy people, there's a a counterintuitive kind of intentionality, an intentional inefficiency that we have to pursue for the sake of showing mercy. And Deuteronomy chapter 24 gives us three different examples of that intentional inefficiency. Verse 19, it's a field. If you forget, if you're harvesting your field and you forget or you pass over some of the grain, leave it behind. Don't go back and, and get it. Verse 20, it's a grove of olive trees. Just go one time over the grove of olive trees. Don't go back over them a second time. Uh, many, Maybe this is true for some of you guys. Uh, we go to some of the orchards in central Pennsylvania, especially during apple season, and it's common for us to buy what they call seconds. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with them. They taste great. We do really well with them in our family uh, a lot of the time. So, so God's not saying, like, hey, just the scraps that like no one else would eat. They're perfectly good fruit. God's saying, though, don't go back over a second time. Leave that behind for people in need. Or verse 21, a vineyard. Don't strip the vines after you gather the grapes. Don't go back over them and pick them all the way down there. Notice in all three of these examples, that's really inefficient. That's inefficient. That is not maximizing the potential or the profit of that field or of that grove or of that Vineyard. And that would be really counterintuitive for a hard-working landowner in the ancient Near East. It's not like we get this chronological snobbery sometimes, like we're the efficient ones, we're the ones that care about that. No. People in the first, in the first century of the ancient Near East that owned their own land were hard-working people. They, and most of them did not end up owning that land or vineyard or grove because they were lazy. Because they were like, ah, you know what, I missed it. I'll just leave it behind. This would be counterintuitive for them. It's a command to be intentionally inefficient and to leave something behind, to leave, in other words, the margins for mercy. Because notice that in each case here, the field, the grove, the vineyard, over and again, God emphasizes the margins are for mercy for who? For the widow, for the sojourner, and for the fatherless. Now, mercy, of course, is not only meant to be kept in the margins of our lives. Mercy, for the Christian, for the people of God, is meant to be a lifestyle. It's meant to be a way of life. People who have received mercy from God show mercy. And so, years and years after this, centuries after this, along with justice and along with faithfulness, Jesus identifies mercy as one of the weightier matters of the law. And he says to the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of of Judaism in the first century, he says, you guys are paying so much attention to the small matters of the law. He said, you should keep thinking about those things, but don't neglect the weightier matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness. One of the most practical ways, though, to make mercy a way of life is to not use up everything for ourselves. It's to not squeeze the last drop out of everything for our own personal benefit. Now, most of us in the room don't own fields uh, or vineyards. This is central Pennsylvania, so some of you do, Uh, but not all of us, not all of us. And even if you are someone who does, uh, we are a far less agrarian society today than they were in the ancient Near East. And so it's not a common practice for vulnerable people, for people in poverty, uh, to show up at a farm to glean after the harvest. I mean, some of it even is this whole efficiency thing, right? You, can you imagine like a person in poverty coming to a field after like the giant John Deere goes rolling through and takes everything in its track out? It's not—it's not a common practice anymore. But there are resources that God has given to all of us, and first and foremost among them is our time, our time. Before I, I go any further, I want to give some credit to Greg Lowe. Uh, at a men's retreat a number of years ago. Uh, We talked about redeeming the time. That was kind of our whole theme of that men's retreat. And Greg actually taught, not from this passage, but from a parallel passage, uh, about not harvesting all the way to the absolute edge of your field. It's another one of the laws given in the Old Testament about mercy for vulnerable people. Don't harvest all the way to the absolute edge of the field. Leave the edges of your field for these same groups of people, for the poor, for the fatherless. And an application to that in our day is time not using up every moment of our lives for ourselves, for our own benefit. We have to create margin for mercy, and we have to do that, among other ways, we have to do that with our time. Time, as I'm sure you you know, I'm sure you've realized in your life, it's maybe the most precious thing we have. The most precious thing we have, as the psalmist prays in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, because there just aren't that many of them. as the Apostle James writes, life is a vapor. Life is a a mist. It is here today and it is gone so quickly tomorrow. And so many of us, productive and efficient as we like to be, we we set out on a path in our lives to maximize the time, to make the most of the time that we have. And so much of that pursuit is good. So much of that is, is good and right. It honors God. It honors the time that He has given us until it leads us away from mercy. Until our efforts of trying to maximize our time actually leads us to excuse ourselves from from showing mercy. Isn't capacity always our issue? Like if someone suggests doing something fun or another kind of responsibility in life, isn't capacity always our issue? Aren't we always busy? And this is kind of a spoiler alert. If you're like a young professional or a student, I'm kind of going to ruin some of the stuff that you'll just find out over, over time. But here's the thing, there will just never be a day in your adult life where when someone asks you, how are you doing? You won't be able to respond with the word busy. You're just going to say that every single day from here on out. From here on out. Because there's always more things that we could devote our time to, and good things even, good things, than there is actual time for. And so one of the things, one of the disciplines we, we do have to, to figure out in life is how to say no to otherwise good things. We always have to be saying no. There's, we cannot say yes to every good thing that, that comes across our path. But we also have to create margin for mercy. If our whole life, if, if all of our time is consumed with things that benefit me, or even just extend that circle tiny bit outward, if it just is about benefiting me and my family, then our yeses and our nos are off. We're we're saying no in that case to at least some things that we should be saying yes to. And so you got to hear a little while ago from Cindy, and she said this basically the same way at the end of, of her sharing this morning as she did back in November at a meeting that several Liberty folks got to attend. She said, we're not all called to be foster parents. And that's true. But we are all called to care For orphans to care for the fatherless. And so not all of us are going to be able to say yes to the things that Cindy shared this morning, the things we're talking about this month, this year with this local mercy initiative of fatherlessness and foster care. Not all of us should say yes to these things. But no doubt in my mind, and as the elders and the deacons and the staff have prayed together and are praying together, no doubt in our minds that God is calling some of us to create more margin for mercy than we currently have. And then to use that margin specifically for the fatherless of our time and place, 21st century central Pennsylvania. Creating that margin might mean, among other things, not putting your kids in as many activities. And I get it. As a parent, you don't want your kid to fall behind. You want them to have a a breadth of opportunities and so now to like keep up with everybody else, there's like 15 things every season of the year that you're supposed to have your kids in. And what I would say to you this morning is, actually one of the best things you could do for your kids is to create margin in your family's life for mercy and bring them into that mercy with you. You will serve your kids so much better doing that than you will giving them like one more sport to play, one more instrument to, to learn, what, whatever else activity it might, might be. Creating that margin might mean Not picking up a side hustle to make money that you don't actually need. It might mean that. Uh, Landowners, think about this, in Deuteronomy 24, landowners are leaving money on the table. There's profit in their field that they are intentionally called to forego by God for the purpose of showing mercy. So as you're thinking about your life and you're like, you know, it would be helpful to have more money. I may not need it, but it'd be helpful you might be thinking, there's something I can add this year, a side hustle I can add to make more money. The question is, should you? Should you? Or should you leave that margin for mercy? Creating that margin might mean not starting or restarting another hobby, something else you're adding to your life that you feel like you have to master because you want to be like a Renaissance man or a Renaissance woman. Creating that margin might mean not reading as many books this year or listening to as many podcasts this year or watching as many movies or TV series as you want to watch. It might mean not taking on all the home improvement projects you planned out or all the self-improvement projects you planned out. In other words, I guess I'm kind of saying, you know, two weeks into the new year, I'm kind of wrecking all of the the New Year's resolutions. Kind of just going down the list of like what could have been your resolutions and we're just crossing them out. And and here, I, I really hope it's not me. I really hope that anything you walk away from this morning thinking about is the Holy Spirit prompting you to think about this. But if your resolutions get wrecked, if your goals for the year get wrecked today, that's that's actually not a bad thing. Because when we're honest, most of those goals we set, most of the resolutions are so overwhelmingly self-focused. And I just invite you to to reflect this week and be honest. For those of you who do set goals, for those of you who do make resolutions, did any of them have anything to do with being more available to meet needs? Did did any of them have anything to do with having more capacity to serve, with having more margin in your life to show mercy? Because in our world, in our cultural moment where you can access anything at any time, you are just never going to stumble into margin. You're going to have to create it. And just like the owner of the field or the grove or the vineyard You're going to have to choose, at least in some ways, inefficiency. You're going to have to choose to leave something behind. Thanks be to God, though, that is how each and every one of us in this room has been invited and welcomed into the kingdom of God. You know what the most famous example of these laws being followed, these Deuteronomy 24 laws being followed, you know what the most famous example of that is? It's when a man named Boaz welcomed a widow and a sojourner named Ruth into his land. She wasn't all three of the categories. She wasn't fatherless as far as we know, but she was a widow and she was a sojourner. And Boaz welcomed her to his land. He, did not, he chose intentionally to not maximize the productivity, to not maximize the efficiency or the profit of his field, and he left some grain behind for her and others. And in time, that kindness led to a marriage which led to a son, which led to a great-grandson named David, into whose line Jesus Christ was born. And so when you step back and think about it, in the providence of God, friends, your salvation was made possible because Boaz created margin for mercy. That's how Jesus came into the world years and years later. So as one who has received that kind of mercy from God, It is now your role to show mercy. You once were a slave, but in Jesus Christ, you are no longer. You are now a son and an heir. So cultivate a memory of mercy. Never forget where you were when the mercy of God found you. And then create margin for mercy. Leave space, leave time in your life so that you might truly be one who shows mercy to the fatherless. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, you have shown us unbelievable mercy in Jesus, and we're about to come to this table and be reminded of it. And so we ask that even this table, by your grace, would be part of our cultivating a memory of mercy, that we would never leave a gathered time with your people without a fresh sense, a fresh remembering of the mercy you have poured out for us. We ask that you would transform us then into a people of mercy. And would you move by the power of your spirit in us today, in us this week, as we reflect, would we create margin in our lives specifically for mercy? And would we be people who show mercy to those who need it, just as we are those who need it ourselves? We pray all that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.